the story of the Bible has zeroed in on God's nation, a nation he saves from slavery and brings to Canaan. Let's review what we've learned so far on The Bible Brief. Tell a friend about The Bible Brief today. Your recommendation can help your friends learn the Bible in a new way. Tap share on your podcast player and share your favorite episode. The sunset was beautiful that September night. It was set against the calm waves of the ocean, with only a few puffy clouds in the sky. The blazing fireball of brightness crept toward the horizon, and just as it passed beyond view, the oranges of the sunset began to transform into hues of pink and then purple. As twilight set in, the clouds forgot their milky white and instead became inky blots in the sky that nearly matched the color of the waves hitting the beach. And soon, the sky was darkened, alit by only the distant twinkling of stars forming the constellations of the night. The words just spoken should paint a picture in your mind, a scene that you can imagine unfolding before you on the beach, a beautiful sunset to end a peaceful day. Now what I want you to imagine, just for a moment, is having only one sentence of that description. Let's take this sentence. The blazing fireball of brightness crept toward the horizon. With just that sentence, do you see the beautiful scene in your mind? Or do you see something else? Something that isn't a sunset at all? Outside of the context of the scene and description, a blazing fireball of brightness could be the remnants of an explosion. It could be a meteor. It could be a failed attempt at a rocket launch. Apart from its context, and apart from the other details, you wouldn't understand the sunset at all. You'd come away with something not intended by the words of that sentence on their own. We have to be careful when we read the Bible that we don't take certain people, places, and events and remove them from their context. We need to understand them in their right order, surrounded by the right events and people. Because when we see the events of the Bible for what they are, we see them as part of a bigger picture, part of the grand narrative being woven by God through history. When we get it right, we see not merely the people and events themselves, we begin to see the beautiful sunset in all its glory. The Bible isn't just a set of bullet points and sentences. It's the interwoven lives of generations all drawing the reader to what God is doing in the world. And what he's doing is saving the world from sin and evil. By the end of the Bible, all the stories, people, and promises begin to converge. They converge on a single city, in a single nation, with a single king. But we're not there yet. So far, the story of the Bible is unfolding in layers. Layers of complexity and expectation. Layers of promises and covenants. People, places, and events. In this walkthrough, we've gone through the first five books of the Bible, also called the books of Moses. It's these five books that create the solid foundation on which the rest of the Bible builds. So we need to make sure that we know them well. That's why we've spent nearly 70 episodes going through them. 
it's hard to overestimate the importance of the books of Moses. So in this episode and in the next, we'll be reviewing the books of Exodus through Deuteronomy. Now, if you need a review of Genesis, go back to our Genesis review episodes before listening to this one. This episode will be a review of the books after Genesis, covering the lives of Moses and the first generations of newly freed Israel. So let's get going. Exodus begins with Israel away from the land of Canaan. Many years prior, the 70 people descended from Jacob all came to Egypt to take refuge from a famine that had engulfed much of the world. But their stay became a stay that would last for generations. The nation of Israel grew and multiplied from 70 to over 2 million people around 400 years later. In the meantime, a new pharaoh had arisen over Egypt, who saw the people of Israel as a threat to his rule. He enslaved the Israelites and forced them to labor for him and build his kingdom. But despite his attempts to stifle the growth of the people, not only by labor, but by genocide of their male children, a child is born who comes to change the course of history. In the midst of the genocide, an Israelite mother puts her child into a little basket ark to hopefully spare him from the death commanded by Pharaoh. Soon her plans succeed, as the child is discovered by none other than the daughter of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses, meaning drawn out, because she drew him out of water. As Moses grows up and enters the household of Pharaoh, he witnesses the slavery of his people by the command of Pharaoh. When he's about 40, he angrily murders an Egyptian who is mistreating a slave before he flees to the land of Midian, a few hundred miles away from Egypt. There, Moses settles among the Midianites and marries the daughter of a Midianite priest as he takes up the shepherding practices of her clan. But shepherding sheep would not be his future. Instead, he would be the shepherd to the people of Israel. On one of his nomadic shepherding expeditions, he comes to the mountain called Sinai, also called Horeb. And there he discovers a burning bush that does not burn up. Soon out of the bush, God speaks to him and commands him to return to Egypt to free the people of Israel from their bondage. God reveals his name to Moses as Yahweh, meaning something like, I am who I am. And Yahweh says that he has heard his people's cry in their bondage. He sends Moses to free them from Pharaoh's iron grip. After Moses reunites with his brother Aaron and approaches Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, Pharaoh intensifies his labor campaign on the Israelites. The Israelites groan at Moses and Aaron for causing Pharaoh to increase their labor. But soon, God acts. God sends ten awful plagues upon the nation of Egypt, culminating in the death of the firstborn of every household in the land. Yet he provides instructions to Israel, detailing their way of escape from this plague. For each household to escape, they would need to slaughter a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lintel of their home. God would see the blood of the lamb, and he would pass over their house in judgment. This great event would be the basis for two holy feasts for the nation of Israel, the Feast of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The bread in each home would be unleavened, because Pharaoh would react to this final plague in such a swift manner that their bread would not even have a chance to rise before they were cast out of Egypt. And that's just what happened. Israel is freed by the power of God, who decimated Egypt on their behalf. But this victory would be short-lived. After Israel is in the wilderness for a few days, 
Pharaoh changes his mind, realizing that he has just lost his kingdom's labor force. He sends his army, led by over 600 chariots after the people of Israel. And soon Israel is pinned, with the Egyptian army in front of them and the Red Sea behind them. But Moses encourages the people. He says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Soon a pillar of fire and cloud through which God had been leading them blocks the Egyptian army from their view, and the sea behind them splits apart to reveal dry ground. The Israelites miraculously pass through the waters of the sea to flee Egypt. But soon God moves the cloud, and the Egyptians pursue them into the waters, only to be defeated by Yahweh himself. God releases the waters to drown the army of Egypt. After 400 years of Israel in Egypt, Yahweh heard the cry of his people and saved them from their distress. And soon he would bring them to the land that he promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But not before he gave a law to the nation. The pillar of cloud and fire leads the people on a trek to Mount Sinai, the same place where Moses had been called out of the burning bush. But on the way there is when the problems really start for Israel. Shortly after beginning their trek, they begin complaining. First, they come to water that isn't potable because it's too bitter. They complain and grumble. Moses prays, and God provides a log for Moses to throw into the water to make it drinkable. The people are satisfied for a moment, but before too long, they complain again. They complain that they have no bread and no meat to eat that they ate back in Egypt. While this angers Moses and Yahweh, God yet provides for the people. He provides them manna, the what-is-it bread from heaven, and he provides them quail for meat to eat. But soon they complain about water again, and through Moses God provides them water from a rock. This place where God provided water from the rock is memorialized as Meribah, where the people quarreled with the Lord. Soon the people come to Sinai, and God descends upon the mountain in fire and smoke and tells the people the ten words the Ten Commandments. The people, however, fear for their lives as they hear the voice of God and see his great power. They ask Moses to be their intermediary to God so that God will stop speaking to them. These ten words begin God's covenant with his people, the Sinai Covenant. God says that if the people obey this covenant, they will be blessed by him in the land of Canaan, but he warns them against disobedience. The main sign of the Sinai Covenant is the Sabbath rest that God commands the people to observe. Six days they will work, and on the seventh they will rest. Six years they will farm their land, but on the seventh the land will rest. The Sinai covenant requires obedience, but with the obedience will come blessing. After the covenant ratification ceremony with the elders of Israel, Moses then goes up Mount Sinai to hear more of God's laws for the people. While Moses is atop the mountain for forty days and forty nights, however, the people already forget their fear of Yahweh, and they break one of the Ten Commandments. Moses' brother Aaron makes a golden calf, and the people begin bowing down to this idol and worshiping it with sensual dancing. On the mountain, God tells Moses of the people's sin and tells of his intention to destroy them all in favor of making a new nation through Moses. But Moses intercedes on behalf of the people in prayer to God. 
Soon Moses comes down the mountain and angrily breaks the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments in front of the people. It hadn't been but a few weeks, and the people had already broken the law that God had given them. After dealing with their sin and destroying the golden calf, Moses again goes up the mountain to hear additional instructions from God for another forty days and forty nights. He makes another pair of stone tablets and returns to the base of the mountain with a shining face from his time spent with God. Then the people begin construction, construction on the tabernacle tent, commanded by God to be built for him to dwell in. The tabernacle is constructed as a place for God to be with his people, and yet to be separated from his people in the holy place of the tent, where only the high priest could go once a year after a blood sacrifice. Reminders of the Garden of Eden fill the tent in the artistry of the curtains and the implements. After construction is complete, God fills the tent with his presence as the pillar of cloud rests on the tabernacle. Soon, the people set off for Canaan. They set off for a new future in the land promised to their fathers. Or so they think. Join us next time as we continue our review. Israel sends spies into the land, and the spies come back with their reports. Some speak of the goodness of the land. Others bring only fear. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023